Welcome back to a special draft edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Bick Nazar, Randeep Janda here for another 90 minutes until 1 o'clock when Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah will be taking over. Uh, lots to come on the show. We're going to try to connect with Jay Pandolfo, who, uh, of course, longtime former NHL player, now the head coach at Boston University, where not only Tom Willander, but also Aiden Celebrini, Canucks sixth-round pick, will be playing next year. So really looking forward to getting his perspective on those players uh, and maybe also the other Celebrini, Macklin Celebrini, who's also going mm-hmm. to Boston University. Uh, NHL draft Quite coverage. the recruiter. Yeah, no kidding, huh? NHL draft coverage brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Honzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Also, uh, we'll hope to hear audio of uh, Todd Harvey, Canucks scouting director, of his press conference down in Nashville at some point. Also look for him to join uh, Dan and Sad exclusively for an interview when their show is on the air at 1. So stay tuned for that. I'm glad we're going to get uh, Pandolfo on the show here because that's such an interesting wrinkle with the Tom Willander pick, right? Yep. A European defenseman making the decision to come overseas, come to the NCAA, and you heard him talk about it yesterday, right? He is very mindful of this is the best path for my development because what's one thing we hear all the time in professional leagues in Europe? Higher quality of competition, but is development the focus, right? Are, are you getting those minutes? Are you getting a chance to get those reps in? Uh, compared to some other development paths. And I think that's going to be a really fascinating one to monitor with Will Ander next season. Yeah, heading into the draft, when that conversation started about Will Ander and the Canucks, you know, one area of a real focus was that NCAA path, right? We're talking about two things. The rink surface, smaller ice, you get a chance to work on that ice, you know, hone your skill, hone your game on that. Uh, The other thing is just being closer to the Canucks. You know that there's a, a major focus at the collegiate ranks from player development, whether it's Scott Young, whether it's Commissaric, whether it's others, uh, just having the ability to, to keep an eye on that. But from an NCAA, you know, program as well, you know, SHL teams, and we've seen in the KHL with Pod Colson, they don't care about the development necessarily no. in some situations, uh, especially in Russia. Here at the NCAA, you're going to have an opportunity to say, all right, there's a bunch of young players, and sure, there's going to be a, a, a look at you know, how much ice time each, you know, top end guys will get. But Willander's going to get a chance to show what he can do and learn from a player that played at the highest level. And I will say it's interesting. You look at Boston University. First of all, they were an excellent, excellent team last year. And now with Willander and Macklin Celebrini coming in, you know, you figure they've got a chance to be pretty good again. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, Lane Hudson, a young defenseman who was a freshman at Boston University, of course, a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. Mm-hmm. Now, much different player than Willander, right? Hudson, undersized, high offensive upside but still, he was a freshman defenseman, led the team in scoring. That tells me it up. he got a lot of trust oh, yeah. from Jay Pandolfo as a freshman defenseman. So I think that's fascinating because what that says is, hey, you might be young. You might be just learning the college game. But if the talent is there, I'm going to lean on you. And I know how to get the best out of you. And I'm going to put you in a position to play big minutes. And now that pairing, too, is going to be really interesting, too. If it's Hudson and Willander going together. Mm-hmm. Boy, what a great training ground for Tom Willander <laughs> to learn how to play with an offensive-style D-man. 
and grow into a role future, hopefully, with Queen Hughes. That is a an exciting proposition. And Hudson, someone that you know, last year we talked so much about because yep. the offensive was just oozing with potential, and he goes over to uh, BU and starts to uh, crush it. And I think he's a guy you would look at and say, if you were kind of redrafting last year's mm-hmm. draft, would probably go totally. a lot higher mm-hmm. now after what he did at Boston University under uh, Jay Pendolfo. Absolutely, and I, I think you start looking at that program, and every couple of years, you know, there's you know, Michigan's had a great run at having some of the high end players go to their program. Uh, with Boston University, you're you're starting to see that in the next year or two, right? Macklin Celebrini is one of those players. Uh, Willander making that move, to me, I think one thing is it's to show that the player has the skill it, or, you know, that they can that they can kind of level up on the North American ice. But the other thing is it's also a sense of maturity, guys, to acknowledge that the end goal is the NHL, and I'm going to make that switch to North America that's my focus, yep. right? It's an easy decision to stay in the SHL and be a you know a big fish in a smaller pond where the NCAA will provide some humbling. I'm sure it will when you're that, – that shock maybe or that adjustment. And that's what I like to see. I like that mentality. Say, hey, I want to play in the NHL, and I'm making a, a switch to the NCAA a little bit sooner. Uh, and now joining us here on Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650, as mentioned, he's a longtime former NHL player and now the head coach – at Boston University, he is Jay Pandolfo. Uh, Jay, thanks very much for doing this today. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Thanks we're, for having me on. Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. Thanks for making time. And uh, we were excited to get you on uh, to talk about Tom Willander. And now the Canucks have drafted Aiden Celebrini, who's a, a commit of yours as well. And, I mean, first of all, congratulations on uh, a bunch of guys getting drafted who are going to be at your school. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, we're excited about it. Um, you know, we had a good, pretty good feeling that – Quite a few guys were going to go today, and um, some conversations we had uh, with some teams beforehand. Vancouver being one of them, you know, we had we had a feeling that um, Willander might be, you know, right around that spot where they were drafting. So uh, I know he's he's really excited about it. And with Willander specifically, you know, it's it's a it's a bit of a unique path that he's taking as a European player coming over to play in the NCAA. How did that process come about in that relationship, and and ultimately getting him to uh, choose Boston University. Yeah, so it, it happened um, back, back in the fall. Um, our, our Joe Pereira, who's one of our assistant coaches, uh, does a great job with recruiting. Um, he had got some information from um, Tom's advisors that he was, you know, considering, you know, going into a route. So once we found that out, we started doing some uh, research on him, and we actually he was coming over to play in a tournament. Uh, in the U.S., so we, we got a chance uh, to get eyes on him, and um, you know, very impressed with him as a player and as a kid. And um, again, he came over for the World Junior A Challenge uh, that was up in Cornwall, in, in Canada. So uh, we went up there as a staff to, to meet with him and talk to him, and you know, see if this was something he was really interested in doing. And after sitting down with him, this was the path that he thought could help him get to the NHL the fastest. So we were excited about it. And, and, you know, once we met him and, you know, obviously have to look into a lot of other stuff like his schooling and he's a really bright kid. And, um, you know, we're, we're really lucky to get him and and obviously really excited. And I think he's taken off, uh, you know, as a prospect. Of course, you look at the on ice and the off ice, but uh, in terms of on ice, uh, when you first saw him play, what stood out to you? Just his competitiveness. Uh, he's really competitive. He's athletic. He can really skate. Uh, those are the things that stood out right away. And I think he's really rounded out his game, too. I think he's 
showing a little bit more offense in the second half. Um, so I, th- I think that's helped the team as well. He seems more confident uh, making plays. Uh, he's always, you can tell, could defend hard because he can skate and he can get on top of guys quickly. But he's really rounding out his whole game, and he's just going to continue to grow and get better as well. I mean, he really is a good athlete at the combine. You know, his scores are off the chart. Uh, he's an explosive kid. So yeah, I think he's just going to continue to grow as a player. When you're looking at that style of D-man, who primary responsibilities can be defensive D-man, like what's the first trait that you try to look at? Just to see see how his gaps are and see how quickly he ends plays and see how good he is in transition. Those are the things we look at. I think now you you watch the National Hockey League on a regular basis. The the defensemen have to be able to end plays quickly, and then they have to get going the other way and transition quickly, and and he fits all those things. I think he's the the type of player defenseman that the NHL is looking for. Now he's got some size, too. He's um, 6'1". He he possibly still can grow a little bit, so – I think it really fits with the you know the style of play that you know the NHL is going with their defense. We're talking to Jay Pandolfo, head coach at Boston University here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Is Willander the type of player that you can see coming in, even adjusting to the North American game, and as a freshman, immediately stepping in and playing a really big role for you next year? We expect that, yeah, we we do. I think he's, you know, like anyone coming over from Europe, uh, I'm sure there'll be an adjustment period. Um, You know, we expect him to have some growing pains over the course of the year, probably especially early on, but we expect him to be a, you know, big part of our team and, you know, big part of our defensive core right away. So, yeah, we we have, um, we're pretty deep on D this year, so I think it, he just adds to that depth and, you know, he'll be, he'll get plenty of minutes and he'll, he'll earn plenty of minutes as well. Uh, looking at the player, and you, you kind of hinted that you know there's going to be an opportunity to you're pretty deep on D this year, but you know areas to work on, areas that you want to specifically work on with your staff to get more out of uh, Tom. I think it's just you know letting him play his game first. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, obviously play within our structure, uh, but he, he fits it how we want to play as a team. We want to play fast, um, like I talked about before. We want defensemen that can end plays and and get going in transition. And I think they'll be able to do that quickly. I think for him too, Tom, just talking to him, he feels like over playing in Europe on the bigger rinks, um, it's tougher to keep good gaps. It's tougher to end plays quicker. He feels playing on the smaller ice surfaces in North America, it actually suits his game even better because he skates so well and can get, get on top of players so quickly. So those would be the things that be a little bit of an adjustment for him right away, but I, I think he'll, he'll fit in just fine. Not to put you on the spot of uh, what your lineup will look like, but are, are we going to see some Hudson and Willander pairings uh, at some point next year? <laughs> I am sure you'll see them on the ice at some point this year. <laughs> There's no, no question about it. Um, which, which will be fun to, to watch those two guys on the ice at the same time. Uh, I'm not saying they'll be a pair right away, but I'm sure I'm sure you'll see these two guys on the ice together, which will be really fun to watch. Well, you'll have a lot of Canucks fans excited because they're, they're already penciling him in next to Quinn Hughes, so they want to see a, a, a younger version of that uh, at Boston University next year. And, you know, it's interesting, again, talking about just the, the unique path going to the NCAA. What can you tell us about Willander's mentality and how he approaches his development and, and that drive to keep getting better? That's the one thing that that stands out with him. He's really competitive, and for a kid from Sweden to take the path he's taken, I don't I don't know if um, a defenseman from Sweden that's been drafted that high is 
on this path, uh, at least that I'm aware of. So for him to have the confidence and belief in himself to do that says a lot about his mentality and his character. And, you know, that, that's a big leap to come over here, um, not knowing anyone in, in, in the NCAA, um, not knowing anyone on our team and, and feel like he can come over here and compete and, and, and get better. And it's going to help his development and his path to the NHL. And, and that's, that's what he's looking for. And I think education too is important to him and his family. So I think that's another piece. Um, and, you know, Boston University is a great academic school. So I think he's that's part of it for him as well. Um, so just having that mentality as a kid uh, says a lot about his character. Another player that, of course, the Canucks took uh, today was Aiden Celebrini, who is uh, going to be featuring on your team next year as well. Uh, right shot, D, what can you tell us about this player and, you know, what he can show at the NCAA uh, level next year? Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have Aiden uh, coming in. He, he played at Brooks last year, and he played at Chaddock the year before. So for him, it was um, you know a big step to, to get out of high school hockey and play junior hockey. Brooks is a great program. They've produced a ton of defensemen. So I think for him, in his development, it was a great year. Um, he's just continuing to get better. He's another, another kid that has the mentality that he just looks to get better every day and, and improve and and you have to have that mentality if you want to play. And he's doing that. He actually was just uh, – he's been working out in Vancouver for the last uh, little while. I think he just went back to California. But he'll be going right back to Vancouver this weekend. So he's excited about it. Um, you know, he, he's from another great family. Uh, he's got great character. Obviously, his um, brother Macklin's coming in as well. So we're excited to have the Celebrinis be, you know, be part of the Terrier family. Was going to ask, what's your recruiting pitch? Uh, this is a, a, a great haul with Will Ander and Macklin and Aiden coming in. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we we feel like uh, at BU that you know it's a place where you know we want our guys to you know grow as you know not only as players but as people. And um, you know I think we're looking for the type of kids that are competitive that want to get better in every aspect, and um, that, that these guys fit that. And, you know, we're starting to be familiar now with the name Macklin Celebrini, especially here in Vancouver. But the the whole hockey world is going to hear a lot more about him as we turn the page on this year's draft, start looking ahead to next year's draft. We know where he's projected to go. What is it about him that makes him such a special player? I think it's just his all-around game, Um, how detailed he is, um, both sides of the puck for for a kid that that is that good offensively at, at that age and for him still to just play the game the right way. Um, you know, he's a 200 foot player already. I think a lot of times when you have kids that are that talented, you have to sometimes teach him the defensive side of the game, but he, he already has that. Um, and that's what makes him so good. And he, another kid that his competitiveness is just off the charts. All right, Jay, you know um, what you'd have to do. And, uh, sorry, Jay. I, cut you again? I was going to say, I know you, I lost you, you. Yeah, no, you, please continue. Yeah, I, I mean, he's just he's a special, special kid, special talent. Uh, we're very fortunate to have him. So it's going to be really exciting uh, to watch to watch him um, play next year at the NCAA level. And for him to do it at such a young age, too, it's, um, you know, he's going to be going up against 23- and 24-year-olds on a regular basis. And um, it's going to be fun to watch. And, and he's, he's the type of kid that wants that challenge. Uh, before I rudely cut you off there, Jay, I was going to say, you know what you have to do. You got to oh, go, no go with the Celebrini hat trick. You also got to get Rick Celebrini now on your staff to complete the hat trick. Oh, we, would, we would love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, 
He's uh, he's great, um, a great family. Um, we spent a lot of time with them uh, last year, so really got to know them. So yeah, we'd love to have him part of our staff. He, he would uh, he, he would help our team get better as well. He's a little in demand. Uh, they, they, oh. still, they have a younger brother too, RJ, as well. So um, you know he, he's still a little ways away, but you know, I'm sure we'll be targeting him at some point as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I will confess that when they drafted Aiden, and I started, I, I definitely checked out uh, RJ Celebrini's profile as well. But as you said, that's a few years down the road. Jay, thanks very much for taking some time to chat with us. Congratulations again on uh, on all of your players being drafted. Uh, thanks, I appreciate it, guys. That is Jay Pandolfo, longtime former NHL player and now the head coach at Boston University, where both Tom Willander and six-round Canucks draft pick Aiden Celebrini uh, will be playing next year and uh, I was glad he brought I thought you were going to bring up the the RJ Celebrini the youngest Celebrini hat trick and uh, no Pandolfo went there himself I was already go- on his radar as I, an 11 year old I was gonna I was gonna jump in there after the Rick mentioned but, you know what uh, you gotta mention Randy I accidentally cut him off yes <laughs> then I did too yeah exactly that made me feel better I wasn't the only I one. was I was doing a peck of Rene I was like <laughs> was that I'll what do, it was I'll do Randy a solid here and jump in early as well it's those pauses boys I thought he was done I got a little too excited. Oh, man. We got a lot of energy. We got a lot of energy here. Oh, the no. best thing about this prospect, Randy Jando, what are you going to It happens, Vic. It happens. Of course it does. Of course it does. Oh, boy. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was joking about it earlier in the show, but, yeah, Canucks fans have a, uh, a favorite NCAA team now to follow and pay attention to. And, by the way, that team was really, really good last mm-hmm. year. They won their conference, I believe. They had a, yep. an outrageous winning percentage. So that's going to be a fascinating environment. And you heard him say right off the top, like, we're counting him to come in and play. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, there'll be an adjustment period and growing pains, but we expect he is somebody who can eat minutes for us in big situations next year. And talk about speeding up the development process too, right? Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be mistakes, but great. <laughs> Learn from them now. Mm. And I love that he mentioned his competitive mentality because that's the other thing too that we, we should talk about uh tom willander too obviously he's got the mobility some physicality but he's got one of the best competitive edges in this draft too the motor is constantly going mm-hmm. wants to compete that's huge and for for this team one of the things that they've absolutely lacked is players that are competitive and bring in a serious guy who's kind of no nonsense and wants to embrace all the elements of the physical nature of the game and and the competitive nature of this game this team needs players like this and and throw and we were talking to Sawyer earlier like throw him in there where he was he was mentioning yeah, like I I enjoy the gritty parts of the game this team this franchise desperately needs more players with that mentality absolutely and they start looking at what they were able to you know I go back to Sam Cosentino's comment of serious as a heart attack, right? Like this is yeah. a guy that's a, that's a good trait to have yep. on a team. That's got a bunch of different personalities. You want somebody that is very business focused and saying, do your job first, all that other stuff, especially in a market like this, where there's a lot of distractions. There's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion. If this young man can continue to feature that way or continue to, you know, be that type of individual, that is something that a internally makes a huge difference because you're setting a tone in the locker room where it's always compete, but guys from a a character perspective as well, 
it's nice to have somebody that has got that tunnel vision when it comes to hockey to say, I'm going to do my job first. Everything else is secondary. And I like what Pandolfo had to mention too, basically saying, making the leap from Sweden to the NCAA. It's not an easy leap, nope. but it's it shows you something about the individual. And just on the point of his mentality, right? Well, Anders' mentality and his, you know, the seriousness and the work ethic. I mean, and I, I, I brought it up with Jay Pandolfo when he was on with us, but even the fact that he's going to Boston University shows me that this is somebody who's taking their development really seriously, right? And who's thinking very consciously about, okay, what can I do that's best for me in my situation rather than just going through the motions, right? And doing the expected next next step because it's the expected next step. And that's not to say that staying in Sweden can't be a really good development. No, of course it can. I'm just saying the fact that he is considering all of those options and clearly trying to think, okay, how can I squeeze the absolute most out of what I'm doing next year in terms of hockey? Like that, that's very compelling to me. Don't don't be comfortable. Go, go, go! Be active and solve the problem. I don't know. I love being comfortable. <laughs> sure. Have you seen his bear sweater? <laughs> that speaks being comfortable. Come on. I'm you guys have about... seen me in the prep room, feet up on the table, leaning back. You know what? I'll push back on this. I'll, I'll give you credit. Look what you left. Jamie Dodd left a thriving law career to walk into yes. sports talk radio in 2019. Nailed it. That is this guy was the Lionel Hutz. That's not being comfortable. Vancouver. That 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 is being aggressive. That's attacking the situation. And look, I, I joke, but in general, like when we're talking about athletes and trying to push your organization yourself to another level. People that thrive and actually accomplish things do not sit back and say, "Oh, it'll get taken care of yep. for me." Sure. Here's Wolander saying, hey, I'm going to have to move to another country anyways to go thrive. I'm going to go do that now. I don't have to worry about trying to make myself adaptable once I get to the NHL. I'm unfamiliar with the North American lifestyle. I'm getting all this out of the way. By the way, spoke great English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, like, there's another box that's checked already for him. But here he is taking on problems prior to arriving to the NHL. These are big check marks as well, just from a player mentality point of view of, I am going to try to seek out the problems, and I'm going to try to solve the problems myself. Go be aggressive. Do not be a passive participant in what your career is going to be. And there is a level of excellence that is clearly being established at BU, right? You talked about that 100%, winning percentage. 100%. The recruitment class, yep. and Pandolfo is not sitting on his, you know, resting on his nope. laurels either. He's, he's already making a so pitch. Looking at RJ down he's, the road. He's already looking at RJ Celebrini. But I think this is to the benefit of Tom Olander. Where they do have, you know, a deep back end when it comes to that team, right? So it gives you enough of an option to, all right, we're going to ease you in into the, the team. But at the same time, if you're ready to go, if you hit that level, we're going to move you up quickly as well. That's yep. a good position to be in. The timeline is going to be fascinating with Holander now, too. And I, I don't want to say that all of a sudden it's accelerated just because he's coming over to Boston, no, uh, to Boston yeah. University or anything like that. But I do think it gives us... A much clearer one of the things I like about it just purely kind of selfishly is it's a lot easier to have a frame of reference I think for a player what they're doing in college it's easier to, to compare them mm -hmm. because you have a better idea of what their role is and all that it's easier to compare them to what guys similar guys have done in the past so I think we're going to get a, uh, a a more clear idea of what his future timeline could be as a result of coming over and playing 
at Boston University as well. NHL draft coverage brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Hanzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. Lots more coverage on the way. We'll try to get some audio uh, from Canucks head scout Todd Harvey. I believe uh, my normal co-host, Thomas Drance, is going to join us live from Nashville. And uh, tomorrow's a big day on the NHL schedule as well. Deadline for qualifying offers, uh, buyout deadline as well. So we see we could see the UFA class be bolstered along those lines. And, of course, the Canucks have some qualifying decisions to make as well. So we can look ahead to what's coming up in the next couple of days, maybe review some of the takeaways from round one yesterday as well. Lots to come. Final hour of us on the air. Dan and Sat taking over at one. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, special draft day edition here, uh, day two of the draft edition here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd with Vic Nazar and Randeep Janda. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The 2023 NHL draft is in the books. The Canucks have made their selections. It's all over. Uh, and joining us now on the line, my regular co-host here on Canucks Talk, uh, down in Nashville covering the draft, it is Thomas Drance. What's going on, Drancer? Not much. It is raining and hailing and storming really? outside. Yeah, we have. Wow. Bill Daly at one point warned everyone that the National Weather Service had requested that everyone remain in the rink for 30 minutes. Wow, that's so, not what people want to hear in Nashville when they're when they're done no, work for so, the week. <laughs> absolutely. So prayers up to anyone traveling this evening uh, that they're able to get out on time. It's been pretty hard for people to get into Nashville all week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be hard for some, those of us traveling today, which is not me, by the way, um, to get out this afternoon. Uh, so it should be an interesting evening in Nashville. But it was certainly, well, you know, it was sort of an interesting day. Happy for all the players that got selected. There are certainly some Canucks takeaways, but I would say not the most sitting draft on the whole, given the lack of big moves and the lack of overall action league-wide as we grapple with a fifth consecutive year of stagnant cap growth. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big takeaways, right? It's just we did not see, after a promising couple of days of, in terms of activity leading up to the draft, it just, the taps ran dry here over the last couple of days. Let's start with the Canucks. Big picture thoughts now that uh, the draft is in the books and they've made their selections. Yeah, uh, three defensemen, right? Right off the bat, three defensemen. And I think that's sort of the headline item about what the Canucks accomplished here today. You know, Todd Harvey insisting that it was best player available in, in every instance. Um, a little bit defensive, I'd say, in his, in his post-game commentary on the matter. Uh, but, look, the Canucks needed to add heft, uh, to add quality to the system on the back end, and, they, and they've done that. I mean, I think Volander and, oh, my goodness, Bruskevich, Brustavich uh, is what we're going with. You almost yeah. got it. What is it? Brustavich. Brustavich. Yeah. Okay. Where's the T from? Isn't there a T in there? 
Oh, man. There's I a T literally yeah. right in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I'd have to look again. As far as I'm concerned, I'm just amazed that he doesn't have a model that I can reference constantly using his first name. Um, but yeah, with those two guys, you've got the organization's new top prospect and, and certainly in their top five, right? I, I think you'd put him in that sort of tier with, you know, Arturus Silovs and, and, and probably just a little bit below Lakaramaki. Uh, in, in a list of, of top five Canucks prospects. So that's a huge dose of talent on the right side of this team's blue line. Um, the third over the third, their late third round pick 89. What was that gentleman's name? Again? Sora Minyu. Yeah. Minyu. Right. Sora Minyu. So uh, depth player with the Kraken, you know, for me, probably not a third round pick. And, and that's sort of like the most Canucks sequence of the draft for me was the Canucks take him at 89 and just based off the scoring profile, and I think he's got more upside than his scoring profile indicates, given that he was playing a depth role on an absolute buzzsaw team. For Seattle, I, I was able to watch him play a bit. You know, I, I like the feet. I think he's a smart defensive player. Uh, he might fill out a little bit further, uh, a little bit thin at the moment, uh, at least if you're projecting to be a defensive defender. But in terms, terms of upside, in terms of the apparent skill level, you know, personally, I, I like to see teams aim a little higher in the third round. Um, but, you know, for me, the sequence of the draft is they take him 89 and 11 picks later, the Carolina Hurricanes take that Rykov kid who's like a historic scorer in the VHL, right? And then, and then that really played out over the rest of the Canucks draft class as we saw, you know, a bunch of D plus two or D plus one or first time draft eligible prospects that had attributes that the Canucks liked, but really pedestrian scoring profiles. Right. I mean, for the most part, if you're not dominating and scoring at lower levels, it's really hard to even be a third liner in the NHL. Right. That's why we see so many of the best third liners be guys we consider, quote unquote, failed first round picks. Um, You know, I, I just don't know that the Canucks were upside hunting the way they maybe could have given their pick volume in that fourth round. And, and you know, I, I sort of contrast that with how some of the other clubs operate now, right? Some of the clubs that sort of go into the draft and look for specific profiles and, and kind of try and find an edge where you're counting cards effectively. It felt like the Canucks were taking players that various scouts liked, but, but I really find it difficult to pull through like a coherent strategy after the first three defender defenders picked and, you know, sort of coming away from the draft as, as a whole, you know, it, it's hard for me to escape the sense that this club has left a fair bit of upside on the table, you know, up and down the draft order, like from, from the 11th overall pick through right through their picks, um, you know, in the, in the sixth round. So that's sort of my overall takeaway. I think there's some really intriguing pieces, especially those top two defensemen that they picked. Uh, I thought the 75th pick Hunter Brustevich. I, I mean, I think that was a really interesting pick, like a really good player, a guy whose statistical profile suggests that there's like a very good chance he's an NHL player. And, and in fact, if you look through what players, um, you know, who've scored comparably and have comparable size uh, go on to do in the NHL, you know, like almost 50% of the time, like almost half the time they end up being players and you'll find a lot of names like Subban and uh, like star level players on that list. Like his statistical profiles through the roof. That's the pick I like the best. 
So they got two really intriguing defensive prospects added to the system. But aside from that, I, I just I really struggle to see what like I can't tell you coming out of this draft what the Canucks draft strategy is or what they were trying to accomplish here besides adding defenders to the system. And I'm not sure that's enough in, in a league where you're dealing with the Carolinas of the world. Well, yeah, we'll dig more into the, the fourth round part of this uh, in just a minute. But I, you know, as far as overall draft strategies, just seeing the first three, it does feel like, hey, we have this massive need as far as we just don't have demon. Like, we yeah. just they just don't exist. And we're relying on Victor Pearson, we're relying on Yanni Yermo, and maybe another one. Obviously, there's there's DPD, Elias Pedersen, but there, there just isn't this backlog of D-men that isn't coming in. And I wonder how much that played a role. It's more in the, the round three than round one of, we just need more bodies back here. Yeah, and well, I think it played a role in round one, babe, to be totally honest with you. so Sure, I but I just happen to like Willander too at 11, though, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean... That's fine. I'm, I'm just we, we sort of had a good sense, I think, throughout this process that it was going to be a center or it was going to be a right-handed defender with their first-round pick, and that's exactly how it played out. Regardless of what else is said, the entire industry sort of had a good sense that that was what was going to happen, and, and it did. Um, you know, and, and I'd sort of add, too, right? We're, we're now 18 months into the sort of Rutherford-Alvin rebuild the blue line project. Right. And, and so we are looking at a first and two thirds being spent on defense in this draft, the first three picks. But, you know, we're also looking at Hirose and McWard. Right. We're also looking at Philip Johansson. So a fair bit of time and, and energy is spent to try to find some talent, too, in non-traditional uh, sort of talent pools. Right. Whether it's NCAA for agency or international for agency. And then obviously the trade market. Right. We're, we're looking at, you know, a first two seconds, a third, a fifth for that Bear, Dermot, Stillman, Heronic class as well. And, you know, that's at this point, I think we all knew it was a need when Rutherford and Alvin took over. Um, the moves have kind of been made and, and it kind of feels like the success of that project is going to be determinative, I think, in terms of how we remember and talk about this era and also how the team succeeds or doesn't in the years, not just next year, but in the years to come. Looking at this draft, and I know Todd Harvey's speaking, and I know he'll be on with the boys later on in Canucks Central as well, but looking at this draft, kind of strikes me as a Derek Clancy draft, going back to his days in Pittsburgh, working with Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvin. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I maybe. I think the, you know, they, they traded so much pick value when they were in, when they were in Pittsburgh. We never saw a Derek Clancy draft with an 11th overall pick, right? Um, so yeah, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting spin or an interesting take on, on precisely how this has gone. Um, you know, for me, for me, it felt like a combo needs draft with, you know, the club identifying some attributes and, and probably having a scout or two really pound the table, um, you know, for, for, for a guy. And that's sort of what it felt like to me. I, I really struggle to find a coherent strategy that ties it together. Uh, so a Derek Clancy draft, you suggesting that to me, it's like, that's compelling. <laughs> and, and I'll think it through, right? Because uh, it just feels sort of like a mixed, it feels like a mixed voice draft 
when, when I look through sort of the receipts, when I look through what the Canucks accomplished today. Uh, Drancers join us live from Nashville here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Um, yeah, so we, we talked about it a little bit off the top, just kind of overall draft takeaways around the league. I mean, the big one for me is just how incredibly quiet it was in terms of NHL players mm. going, in terms of movement around the board, obviously especially last night, but even today, I don't think we really yeah. saw the volume we're accustomed to. Do you have an, an overarching theory for why it was so quiet transactionally at the draft? I wonder if there was a sense that the top end was so loaded and that evaluations were so volatile once you got past the sort of top end group of forwards in particular that you could afford to wait. You know, I, I, there were a lot of stories about teams trying to trade down. Like I've heard a lot of stories and from a lot of different contacts about teams trying to trade down and finding too few teams trying to trade up. Right, It feels like Washington trading up to get Andrew Crystal was more the exception than the rule today. Uh, and, and I actually just think the teams that were open to moving down the draft order and expanding their draft capital found too few takers interested in jumping up the board to seize a guy. Uh, I suspect that probably speaks to a sort of a divergent opinion in terms of where various players in this draft class fell, but also you know, probably to the overall strength right, of, of a draft class that we've been talking about for years. The teams were comfortable just staying where they were and picking, and no one really wanted to give anyone else additional artillery to, to shop with in, in this particular draft class. So those would be my theories. And then, of course, the flat cap and, and that, the impact of that, the fact that so few teams um, have the flexibility to really make moves, how crunchy the overall market has emerged as, you know, I think that also obviously stimulated uh, the lack of activity, <laughs> stimulated the opposite of stimulated, helped cause the lack of activity that kind of characterized this draft. I, I will always remember this draft as the Bedard draft, right? We'll always remember this draft as, you know, the Mitchkov draft and, and those sort of top end forwards that we've spent years sort of discussing and, and hyping up. But I, but I also think we'll remember sort of this draft as, you know, and I don't want to use a word like dud, but, but something like that. Like this draft kind of fell flat in terms of not giving us the sort of action we're typically used to when we talk about, oh, you know, the biggest trades in the NHL, the biggest, the busiest part of the NHL calendar. That's draft week, right? I, I don't know that this week sort of delivered on the, on the sort of action that we're used to. Uh, I, I know the draft just ended uh, and you've had – have not had a chance to pen a winners losers, uh, but walking out of there, who do you look at and say, "Hey, this team really crushed it." Drance is already always ready for some winners and losers. It's one that, <laughs> if, if the only thing he would have liked more if you'd asked him to do a tiers ranking on it. But, uh, go, go ahead with winners and losers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'll have to think about it a little bit further. To see, to, I was right. Let me give you. Let me give you my. Let me give you my. Yeah, well, because. The draft happens so fast. It's after crazy. The first yeah. round. It's wild. And, you know, I, I'm spending time, like I, I had some conversations with Rick Tockett, and I'm spending time, you know, sort of trying to put in FaceTime with various people and on and on. So, you know, I need to, like, go and be like, who really got value? Um, you know, they're, they're, like, there's a few picks that I can tell you I liked, right? Like, I like the, I liked Seattle's second round, right? I thought Seattle had a really good day two. Um, you know, and, and I like that they swung for the fences with Edouard Soleil. Not exactly my guy, but 
Uh, I like how they swung. for. I like the approach that the Seattle Kraken took. And then I thought they had a fabulous day, too. Like, I loved the value they extracted in that second round. I think getting Andrew Crystal 40, you know, given his profile where, for the most part, the only guy that we've ever seen score the way Crystal has in the dub who didn't, like, make it was Nick Patan. And, and he still played a couple hundred games in the NHL and was an elite AHLer, and that's like the floor, right? That's the absolute floor. Most of the guys that produce like Crystal did as as, as a 17-year-old end up being star players. Uh, To get that sort of value at pick 40, to trade up the board and and secure it, for me, that makes the Capitals one of the winners. And and you add Ryan Leonard to that, uh, I think there's a real chance that Washington looks back three, four years from now and has like two of the top 10 players, period from this draft class. I don't know that there's a ton of other teams you could make that case for. Um, You know, I kind of liked Arizona's Russian heavy approach. I thought they drafted two guys that are extremely unique, probably the two most unique players in the, in the draft. Um, Obviously, Simashev we've talked about at length on, on these airwaves uh, and the uniqueness of his skill set. But if there was sort of a forward version, a guy who has the tools to emerge as an elite player commensurate with some of the forwards we've been talking about forever and ever, you know, I, I think that would be a guy with a, with a chance to upset the apple cart there, even though they passed on Benson to do it. Uh, something that I think is a, a mistake that'll be regretted by everyone basically who picked from nine to 12. Um, you know, even though they did that, at least you can see like the coherent thought of let's get two junior teammates. We might have trouble signing one of them, but they're buddies. Maybe we can get them both. Um, it delays them coming over for two years while we figure out exactly who we are as a franchise. Like I thought that was a, a coherent approach given their two picks in the top 12. I thought Chicago obviously gets Bedard that that's a game changer for them. I thought it was a stud move to have the 98 ready on his Jersey. Like I just thought that was really cool. I loved Kyle Davidson's interview. I think Kyle Davidson is now one of the most likable general managers. And if you told me that the Chicago Blackhawks would have a likable executive 48 hours ago, I would have told you that's not possible. But I feel like that man on the street video he did uh, put him in the put him in the running as an NHL general manager who uh, who will sort of think about and like laugh and smile and think, hey, that was pretty cheeky and fun. Uh, and then obviously getting more at 19. I think puts an exclamation mark on, on a transformative day for that franchise. Anyone who comes away with Bedard uh, gets put in the winner's column. And then I, I suppose Philly, right? Philly would be the other one that stands out to me. You get Mitch Cobb at seven. It's the sort of decision that I don't. All right. The cell service in Nashville strikes again uh, as we lose Thomas Drance on the draft oh. floor. Oh, we're back. We got him. We're back. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Go ahead. I thought the storm warning but, uh, maybe got no, yeah. <laughs> the hail's coming. Philly, in. Philly, yeah. Maybe I maybe I got Ben Franklin up in here. Um, the uh, <laughs> the Philly would be the other one, right? Just because it felt like a signal of intent from them from that franchise, which is so clearly charting a, a new direction to select Mitchkov. It doesn't feel like a decision they would have made a year ago, but this year it's a different team. It's functioning in a different way, uh, and, and so I like that sort of declarative statement from the Philadelphia Flyers. I'll, I'll include them as my final winner. Losers? Do, do I need to do losers still? I did a lot of winners. I don't know, Randy. You know what? I had the next question. Let's go losers. Who's who's the biggest <laughs> loser or to, maybe top two? Do one. For you? Do one. Okay, fine. Do do two. We uh, got to keep Montreal. the limiter on Durant sometimes, yeah. Randy. Right, yeah, you you the biggest right. loser. Let's stick with that. I'm going Montreal. 
I'm going Montreal for sure. Well, and you don't like three goalies? I don't like three goalies. They took three goalies? Yeah. What? <laughs> well, one thing I will say, though. In rounds like three, four, they, and five. Yeah. I like that they picked the heavy goalie, though. I believe in that guy. <laughs> I, uh, it, there's, it's like demonstrably true that heavier players outperform the slot in which they're drafted. And I think there's a really obvious reason for it, which is that players' bodies change, right? Like, a 17-year-old is not a 23-year-old in the NHL. I remember miking up Elias Pettersson when I was in Chicago working for the Panthers. He came in for a pre-draft interview, and we filmed it. And I remember miking up Elias Pettersson when he was 17, and I was, boys, I was stunned. Like, I'll ne- I was just like, this is the skinniest human being I've ever met. Like, and I knew he was sick, but I was just like, this is the skinniest human being I've ever met. And now I talk to him in the Canucks room, and he's got, like, that, that, those pro-athlete, like, neck muscles. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you are a big guy now. Like, it's, it's wild. I saw the same thing happen with Jonathan Huberto. Uh, you know, it's one of the things, one of the reasons why, like, the Benson size concerns never concern me. I, I think if you're knocking a guy for being skinny at 17, you're, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, likewise, I think if you've got a heavier player who's still able to play at a, at a high level in the USHL, well, guess what? They have one of the cleanest paths to untapped upside of anyone in the draft. Once they're in like NHL or pro hockey shape, uh, they might be better. They might be even better. So I, I like that pick for Montreal, but I thought Reinbacher, the value there was, uh, was the value wasn't there. Uh, and I thought three goalies <laughs> given their draft capital, uh, that was an exercise in um, futility here. Let me give you another one. I thought I thought Detroit had a really bad draft. And maybe a bit of a sigh of relief for Canucks fans. Like, it felt like they wasted that second-round pick uh, that the Canucks traded them for Philip Peronik. Um, you know, Axel Sanding Palik is fine. I think drafting a defender at that stage in the process is, is reasonable. He had a good U18s. But Danielson, nine. Uh, Axel Palika. 17 and then and then the guys in the 40s like to me it felt like Iserman had a real opportunity to go upside hunting and try to address the gap in elite talent that that team has incurred as a result of you know Canucks levels of bad draft lottery luck and I I just don't think they came away with enough value for it so Montreal and Detroit a couple of original six teams would be uh, top-line items on my NHL draft losers list. Uh, I look forward to uh, to the, the losers and winners column up in The Athletic at some point, Drancer. Uh, we'll let you go, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Crushing it down in Nashville all week. Uh, don't go too hard tonight. Remember, we got a show. we got a show tomorrow. All right? so keep it in <laughs> well, check Well, I will a say bit. I didn't go hard at all last night, and I've never been so lucid for a day two of the NHL draft. And, and boys, let me let, let me tell you, not a fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of that at all. I had you, it right. You chose you chose the wrong one to be locked in for in terms of days two, day twos of the NHL draft, the oh, one man. where nothing happens. Grants, you got to play a little guilty. Come on. Oh, he's, don't worry. He's done it before. <laughs> it turns out day two, uh, day two, when you're um, not feeling like when you're feeling poorly on day two, it actually kind of gives you something to do keeps you busy <laughs> could have used it today hey right. thanks boys yeah we'll talk soon buddy thanks that is uh thomas Drantz, of course regular co-host here on uh, canucks talk weighing in from nashville uh including on the spelling of uh hunter bristavich's uh name which yes there is a t as you said right in the middle i love how conveniently placed i love how bick says there's a t and, and he's Drantz like i'll have to check that i'll have to we're looking at his name right we're now we're checking it we're doing the checking for you right now calling fake news on the spelling of a name Welcome to my life, guys.
We haven't gotten any uh, <laughs> Bruce. There it is. No. Text. No. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I'm still mad the Canucks passed on uh, Matthew Mania. Oh man, I mean, that would have been right. so fun. Have you guys ever been to Water Mania in Richmond? <laughs> no. That's not where I thought you were taking this. It's like a big uh, like swimming pool, with like a water slide and a wave pool and stuff in Richmond. Sure. My daughter is a big fan, but I just love it. Cause it's like, it's time to go to Water Mania. So what you're saying, there would have been natural sponsorship deals for Matthew Mania. Absolutely. Had he been selected Absolutely. by the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Anything with Mania at the end gets uh, gets an A-plus oh, from me. All right. Uh, as you can tell, it's the final, final segment of the show here. But we do have lots more. Or we're going into the final segment. Sorry, we're going to take one more break. Uh, we got lots more to get into. We're going to hear from Todd Harvey uh, and look ahead to the next couple of days for the Canucks and around the NHL. Final segment coming up. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw will be on at one for more in-depth coverage. Right now it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is, again, a special edition of Canucks Talk here, Draft Talk on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. NHL draft coverage is brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Honzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com uh, slash tickets. I will say, and I'm just going to confirm here, but he didn't get picked. Uh, I was expecting... NHL, uh, Vancouver Giants defenseman Mazden Leslie to go uh, at some point in this one. And I know, like, he did not get picked. Questions about his defensive game. He's still at 50 points in 66 games. Very productive player. I don't know, Exciting man. Like, seventh-round pick? Step up and see if you can teach him how to defend? A little surprised that uh, Mazden Leslie like, didn't go off the board. Not like he's 5'9". He's 6'9". Yeah. No. It's not like he's like, oh, he's 5'7". It's like, what? Like, I don't know. Anyways, uh, one, of, uh, one of the things that surprised me today. All right. He's going to be on for an exclusive interview later with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah, so make sure you tune into that. Uh, but here is Canucks head scout Todd Harvey speaking to the media down in Nashville, giving his thoughts on the team's draft class this year. You're not traveling. Are you scared? <laughs> you get, no, I'm staying over. <laughs> by choice or by necessity? <laughs> uh, by choice. <laughs> Todd, three defensemen out the gate. Um, not a coincidence? Well, we, we're taking the best player on our list. Um, obviously, uh, first of all, I just want to say about our scouts, uh, the hard work that they put in, the process that we've done. Um, you know, a lot of miles, a lot of early flights, late late nights getting home. Um, really appreciated their work. And, um, you know, they, they fought for their players. And, and uh, you know, we're pretty happy with uh, what we've got. Defenseman? Yeah, we got a few. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, Tommy, um, we, we, you know, we think very, very highly of him. And uh, um, we like everything about him. Um, you know, the compete, uh, the, the character as a person is phenomenal. He doesn't give you the, the old hockey player uh, uh, answers. Uh, I think he's, uh, he's a really intriguing person uh, to start with. But... Uh, um, he's going to be a heck of a player for us, um, uh, you know. And then uh, our second pick, uh, we we feel we got good second round value there. Um, you know, solid player, moves pucks very well. Um, you know, 
smart, smart player. Um, and we're, we're, we're happy we got him where we got him. Uh, with, go ahead. I guess with your second, your, your two third round picks, it kind of feels like a little bit of the opposite of the other. One's more of a defensive penalty killer on the left side, and one's more of an offensive guy. What did you like so much about the defensive style that you saw I know. I you know what? Uh, I think there's more room to grow there. Uh, he's a light kid. He's got a pretty good frame on him. Um, you know, you look at him. We watched him through the year. Our scouts really liked him. Um, yeah, you didn't. He was kind of put down in the lineup this year with with their team being so stacked. So, uh, but who was first over the boards on the penalty kill unit? Last couple minutes of play, he was the guy. And I I actually think there's a lot more growth with his offense. And I think he'll get more of an opportunity next year to to prove that. Um, uh, we really like his smarts and, and the way he moves the puck. It feels like smarts was something you targeted in the fourth round as well. Talk us through Mueller and the selection there. So that overage one yep. surprise Yeah, little surprise. Uh, our guys really liked him. Uh, our U.S. guys uh, followed him quite a bit this year. And, um, you know, that, that was one of the main reasons with his smarts. And he's a, he's a good two-way player. But, um, you know, our scouts think that... Uh, um, he's got some more offense to give. He had pretty good numbers, um, you know, nothing that's going to blow the doors off you, but I think that, uh, you know, there's room to grow there in that area too. Gilmer, you got a six foot six guy. Aside from being six foot six, what are you excited about? Well, he, you know, obviously he's a, a big rangy guy, and uh, but his skating's pretty smooth. And, uh, you know, our, our scouts over there uh, thought he, you know, a bit of a sleeper. He's a, he's going to be a project, and, and he's going to take time to fill out and, and, and learn how to use his size. Um, but we're, we're real excited about him and, and the prospect of what he could become. He was a teammate of LeCaramacchi's. Did that additional coverage help the process, making you comfortable taking him? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, uh, um, having him there uh, probably would have helped. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we were focusing on that player. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is project players down the road. And this, this is something that uh, we feel that, you know, given some time here and strength, he's, he's going to be a heck of a player. We know how much Patrick and Jim have prioritized player development, adding bodies um, in that fourth round uh, and the fifth round, you know, whether it's Perkins or, yeah. or Mueller, um, the guys you saw as intelligent clearly or, or projects uh, but but not with substantial scoring profiles as you alluded to in your answer on Mueller yeah um what do you hope just the player development can sort of apparatus can help mold out of these guys well obviously we're looking at you know Mueller I think uh you know obviously we want some more offense to come out but I think at the end of the day you're looking at a good third line center uh hopefully you can get to that point um you know, we, we try to project those guys, like I said, down the road, and I think he, he has some tools to get there. He's a good skater, and uh, I think, you know, he's only going to get better here. How do you view, just philosophically, sort of non-scoring prospects or, or pedestrian-scoring prospects in terms of projecting their future value? Well, obviously attributes. I mean, that that's, has a lot to do with it. I mean, you know, just because, I, I mean... Yeah, you might say the numbers aren't there, but that we're projecting them to get better, and the numbers will get better. Right. You guys name? No, you got it. I'll follow up. Uh, Aiden, obviously, a uh, local tie yep. there, ties to the organization uh, in through his dad. Uh, what do you guys see there, and why so many BU players? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we really look at that, to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, what do you have against BC? 
<laughs> yeah, don't don't start that. I'll be getting in trouble there. Um, but at the end of the day, we our, our, our Western scouts really liked him. They went in to see him. Hey, Bill, hey, Bailey, you want me to talk a little <laughs> little lighter over there for you? <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, uh, our guys went in and seen him a lot. They think he's smart, moves pucks. He's got decent size. Um, you know, we think that uh, you know he he has the potential to to be a good five six guy at the next level. I wanted to ask about Matthew Ferguson more because, like, you're having a player that's in that kind of range of yeah. probably, I guess, like 40 to 90 or somewhere. There has to be one scout bang on the table. I really like this guy. This part of his team is something I like. What was it with Ferguson? Well, they like his speed. Obviously, they like the way he skates. He's, he's a slight guy right now, but I think there's lots of room on his frame to get bigger. Um, and uh, that's what our scouts were, were looking at, the projections going into Duluth. Um, you know, he's going to have some growing pains there, but we really like his attributes. He's a he can penalty kill. He's a, He's got speed. He's dangerous. He uses that well. Um, so they, they, they really liked him, and they pushed for him. It seems like Melander, the reason for the NCAA was minutes. I'm not worried about him. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, he's going to go in and uh, um, he's going to demand minutes. That's the kind of player he is. And you talk to him, he's pretty pretty confident kid. And, and I like that about him. Said that they kind of targeted him because they wanted the right shot defenseman. So that kind of comes with you're expecting a lot of minutes. I expect him to go in and, and be a real oh, good really player. Really and nice. hopefully at the end of the day, he's their best defenseman. So yeah, that's that's what I'm expecting. But at the end of the day, I think he's expecting that too. So. With Valander, obviously played a ton during the U18s, but had that famous game was kind of shutting down that U.S. top line. Uh, a lot of those very guys good ended up players. in the first round. What role? does a big game performance like that play particularly given how t- how you guys have seemed to wait tournament performance whether it's been Manila Klimovich or, or Yoni or Mo in the past <laughs> we, we had uh, Willander before the tournament I right. tell you that I mean uh, um, we followed him since the, the Halinka obviously and uh, his game and trajectory of his game has gone like that and, and that's you know that's something that we noticed and uh you know obviously to top it off with a good u18 performance is great but uh you know we went through the process we put the file together on him and at the end of the day we we really liked the player that we got there to be able to get a back-end playmaker with size who happens to be right-handed 75 um were you surprised by that value um yeah i was i mean i i was real happy i mean uh i i think we got good value there in that pick and you know he's a mature kid and uh i think uh you know he's uh he's he moves the puck he's got a good brain and and you know all with all defensemen they're, they're, they need time and uh, i thought he came in this year and played really well for the for a kitchener team so um and kind of took minutes from other guys he talked about wanting to have more of a shooting mentality what do you think he means by that based on what you saw in his game? Well, I think he, he moves pucks. He's, he likes to make the play. But I, I do agree with him saying he wants to get better at shot. And I think that's moving the line, getting shot through to the net. A lot of defensemen sometimes, they have trouble getting pucks blocked because that's the way the game's played now. Everybody comes to the middle. And, and it's just maybe getting his head up. And, and But I like the fact that he's talking about that and wants something that, that for him to improve. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a guy there that knows what he is and knows what he needs to improve on is the, is 
their challenge or opportunity in evaluating a depth player on an absolute wagon at WHL? <laughs> no, because I'm looking at attributes. I mean, everybody can say, uh, well, he's not. He's playing fifth minutes or six minutes. No. I look at the attributes of the player, what he does on the ice, and, and that's what I look for. Euler, what is the future? I think he's 20 now. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know right now if he's coming in or not, but I, I think another year wouldn't hurt him. Um, but, uh, you know, that's up to our development guys. Was there any sort of push to go all defensemen this draft? You know, yeah, that's pretty funny. I, I, you know what? Um, you know, the way the list was going, it, that's, you know, we're looking at our players that we, our guys are pushing for. And uh, it happened to be defensemen in those areas, but um, you know, um, sometimes it goes like that. Sometimes it's all forwards. So um, you know, I think we lucked out in, in the picks that we got. How did the top ten play out compared to what you were expecting? Yeah, I, I, you know what? I think that at the end of the day, I, we had in our mind that we thought it was going to play that way. Maybe there are a couple, couple different slots, but at the end of the day, I think that that's the way we thought it. Yeah, there was a couple different ones in there. Yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah, I mean, all, all over, I think, the whole thing. So everybody kind of valued their picks, I think, this year. Yeah. Three in a row they had there. I think they traded the one, but they had three in a row. Yeah, may, or was it? <laughs> no, I, I'm sure the phones were ringing, but uh, I don't think... Uh, you know anything happened but it was uh you know that's why we were real happy to make our picks and and like i said it was uh um the way it plays out that's the way it plays out i mean we put our list together and we you know do the process and the whole deal and, and make sure that we're ready and, to make the picks yeah i mean uh Especially all of them. The year before, the year before. I mean, it's it's always good to see how those guys are improving, and because you know I don't get to see them all the time, and and uh, you know it'll be great. Uh, I'm I'm sure uh, everybody's looking forward to that back there. You guys, you guys talk about that stuff all the time. I mean, I I see the I see it, but uh, um, at the end of the day, we went with our the best player and. Uh, um, you know, that's what we do, and, and uh, you can say positional or not positional, we went with the best player. Uh, can you walk us through the next 12 hours in terms of dev camp and filling out that roster? Do you have a role in that? Would that's not my job. <laughs> uh, that is the director of amateur scouting for the Canucks, Todd Harvey, uh, getting some laughs there at the end, speaking to the media about his team's draft class and you know trying to enlighten us all who did have some questions about the picks in that middle part of the draft in round four about what goes into it and you know one of the things he talked about not really concerned about production because they're looking at attributes more uh, and also the emphasis on IQ and hockey sense and hey look I'm all for having really smart yeah. players the question for me is is there IQ and Faber touched on this a little bit as well right like there's a lot of smart hockey players is it 
that high that it justifies going off some of the more skilled and more productive players before, uh, be- you know, who go who end up going after these guys. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that if you're making that argument, if you're saying, hey, smart players, players that essentially will act like a sponge, right? They're going to take in a lot of information mm-hmm. and then they're able to execute. And listen, a part of a system that we've started to see that with Rick Tockett in Vancouver, but going back to the days of Pittsburgh, of course, because that's where it was successful, you didn't necessarily have the most skilled player that was drafted by the team or a collegiate free agent, but they fit well. And that's the play here, by especially when it comes to the forwards. The defensemen, I love what they did with defensemen, especially those top two yep. picks, but even filling out the depth later on in the draft, I love that. Now, with some of those forwards, you're making a calculation that you're going to get really smart players and they're going to be able to fill that void, and they're going to be able to maybe not as skilled as some of the guys that were on the on the board at that point or available, but that they can they can make up those gaps because they play the game the right way. They take that you know they have that intelligence. Listen, in the end, time will tell. But we've seen that kind of play out in Pittsburgh with some of the moves that they made way back in the day. I do like the idea of like hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. Hockey sense, decision making, processing speed being the fundamental characteristic that you look at. But similar to what we were talking about earlier, it's like you have to pair it with something. Yeah. And that's the thing where you're talking about. It's like, it's not like they got like burners. It's not like they got size guys. Yeah. Like, again, we, we, I, I think just coming off the playoffs, we use this example so often. Mark Stone's not the fastest guy. No. Nope. Mark Stone also happens to be a behemoth mm-hmm. and a absolute animal and compete. And has really good hands. Actually. And has amazing, you know? <laughs> amazing yeah. hands. So if you're not pairing it with something else that's physical, it, it becomes really tough to leverage being the, the the smart guy. Yeah. Now, it makes it easier that you don't have to pass certain speed thresholds because, like, hey, I can play with better angles. That plays a role in this. But we're not talking about players that are physically dominant here. And you also have to wonder. Except for the six-foot-six six. Six six guy, yeah. yeah. But you do have to wonder, like, shouldn't the hockey IQ show up on the score sheet a little bit more? You know what I mean? Like that that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. And I get it. At the NHL level, it's not all about scoring. You need guys who fill different roles. But in the draft, you're looking for players who have really separated themselves from their peers. And if you are if if your hockey IQ is so high that it's a separating factor for you, I would expect that to show up on the score sheet yeah. to a certain degree. And I, I'm not sure it did enough for for some of these picks. And also like the draft in its own way, and this goes for all, all sports, is an exercise in finding elite traits. If your IQ is so elite, why weren't you higher in the draft? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would ask that. And to your point, it's like, well, where was the production to follow suit? If 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 it was so obvious that like the, the IQ was through the moon, shouldn't they And same thing with the talk round? about, yeah. well, they weren't playing a big role in their team. It's like, well, why didn't... Like why yeah. didn't their IQ yes. let them play a bigger role on the team? Right? Now I'm I'm all here for getting more out of these players, and mm-hmm. I hope every single one of these guys succeeds. That's no the thing. None of this them. is to say that these yes. players can't work out or they're doomed to fail or anything like that, or even it's, really against the players. It's, it's, it's just it's, a question of value and the strategy it, at the it's, draft. It's table. draft theory. And were you trying to chase uh, players that are better contributing members of asset value? That's a, you know, it's going to be the concern, I think, over the next little bit here until free agency. I'm sure there'll be a lot of conversation, guys. But when you start looking at, you know, the type of player, right? I look at Mazden Leslie, we mentioned earlier on, where he's got some elite skill when it comes to the offensive side of things from a defensive perspective. And what's the knock on him? 
defensive side of the game. Where, unless you're Eric Carlson, it's going to be really tough to fall in love with a player if they, if they don't have that defensive mm-hmm. understanding. But at the same time, some really good offensive skill. And these moves, these moves are certainly, and it's a crapshoot the, uh, the draft at the best of times, right? Like, in a lot of ways. You're, you're taking a player in the fourth, fifth round, and it's very unlikely that they're going to make the NHL. But what is your end game here? Is it to try to swing for the fences? Because uh, Mazden Leslie is, if you're trying to do that, somebody would have taken him. Yep. The Canucks were the only one that didn't take oh, him. Oh, no, and when I brought that up, it wasn't yeah. criticized. But my point, I was just surprised but, that nobody t- picked him. That's an example of more of, you know, the philosophy. It, it wasn't only the Canucks, but it does make you think about a couple of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, I, I get wanting the, the special traits, right? But again, typically those special traits do translate into some sort of uh, production uh, and uh, you know I get people taking it p- this person texts in what are you honestly expecting from fourth and fifth round guys they're all lottery picks realistically none of these guys play more than five games with the exception of the first round guys that's fair look you're right the, the percentages sure. of getting an impact player in the fourth or fifth round are very very low you can still boost or lower those percentages depending on how you approach it I mean I will say the two picks I like the most in this draft for the Canucks are Willander and Brustavich. And those are their first yes. two picks of the draft. If you're going to make two really good picks, make them for your first yep. two picks in the draft, right? Yep. Like, those are the ones that are more likely to pay off. It, it, it's it's fair to, to, to mention that it's a lottery ticket. But you know when we go to like the, to go buy a lottery, it's like if you want the, the $1 million draw or the $35 million draw, mm-hmm. the $300 million, you, you draw from the $300 million pile, not the $1 million lotto. You, you yep. go for the big win. No one's going to complain if you get the million dollars. I get it. But the draft is meant to be an exercise to find talent. And, you know, to the point we're making earlier, it's like if you believe in your development system, develop stars. Try to develop that. Yep. Or take guys who maybe have that skill, don't have all the defensive mm-hmm. details down, yep. and, okay, hey, if you're not going to work out of the top six, we can develop you into that bottom six player with still some skill and upside. For sure. And, guys, it comes down to establishing and you know setting up that standard within your own organization, or at the very least, if a player turned into a, a good one at the junior level or at the collegiate level, gives you an opportunity. An if you've asset, got, yeah. Yeah, you've got an asset that you can flip. If you've got three right-shot defensemen all of a sudden that are – trending towards the NHL or the AHL, it gives you options down the, you know, down the road. And, and Just, I think that's why there's a little bit more pushback when it comes to that pick 105 and probably 119. I think Vilmer Ulrichsen, we're all intrigued by the 6'6", mm-hmm. 220 pounds nearly. Uh, there is something there, obviously. It's, it's something that you, you look at the physicality and say, intriguing, and I'm sure the Canucks are not the only team that saw that. But a couple of other picks, you're saying, what is that, what is that one quality that would have wowed general managers. I, I I think the one quality now suddenly is just gonna be competitiveness, and it's it's not sexy, but that's what it is. Uh, this this guy texts in. I can't believe you guys are breaking down fourth round picks. It's it's draft day. <laughs> it's it's kind of what we it's, do. It's quite literally draft day. It is the day of the draft. Uh, but it's like earlier. Is there a T in his name? It's like quite literally. <laughs> there is a T. Um, but looking ahead from the draft now, as we get ready for a free agent frenzy on Saturday, and of course we'll have live coverage here on 650. And the other big day tomorrow, which is going to be interesting from a Canucks perspective and also a league-wide perspective, the deadline to issue qualifying offers 
uh, to your restricted free agents. Obviously, the big decision for the Canucks is Ethan Bear, who picks up that injury. I would be very surprised if they qualify him. I wouldn't be surprised if we get word of a contract, a deal reached Mm -hmm. uh, between Ethan Bear and the Canucks, but a straight qualifying offer would surprise me given his injury status. The other thing I'm going to be watching for really closely, this is something we saw last year, is some surprising players around the league that because of their qualifying offer status might not get Mm -hmm. that offer and might all of a sudden hit the UFA market. I think with Ethan Barrett's guys, you look at the situation and the leverage has gone completely to the other side, right? Bear may have had that leverage prior to the injury, but the Canucks do have that now. And we'll see how this plays out. But from a player's perspective, you play in the city, you know the training staff, the medical staff. If you're rehabbing from an injury, going to a new team, that's tricky, man. That's that's a difficult situation yep. to be in where, yes, you're probably going to have to take a haircut, a, haircut a, a pretty significant one. It's not going to be long-term. It's probably more of a show-me deal. Mm-hmm. But what puts you in a position to succeed? You're going to get minutes in Vancouver. And on top of that, you'll have that medical staff and that training staff that you know that's that's what I'll be looking out for because it, it, you take the L probably with that injury as a player, no question, and the team does too, guys. They lose yep. you know time from a player that they would have relied heavily on. But what's the best situation for the player? Probably still Vancouver. That element, the medical element of what Ethan Bear is facing is probably a huge determining factor just because if you can stay here, get all the rehab done, you don't have to go into the free agency to, to, to live in the wilderness of – Will a team sign me and, and have my rehab? I wonder how much of a role that's going to play yeah. in if he signs. My, my bet would certainly be that he's back yeah. with the Canucks on on a deal that uh, that makes sense given the injury status. And again, it's going to be fascinating to see who might shake loose around the league tomorrow as well. Thanks for sticking with us today. Thanks for being part of the coverage. It continues. Canucks Central is up next with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Uh, they will have an exclusive one-on-one or two-on-one, I guess, interview with uh, with Canucks Amateur Scouting Director Todd Harvey. Get more of his thoughts on the team's draft class, the process they use to select the players, what traits they're looking for, and all of that. Canucks talk back at its normal time tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening. You've got it here on Sportsnet 650.